Well, thank you so much. Uh, we are excited to be with you guys this morning and also tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun uh, tonight. And uh, as I mentioned in the service before, we, we travel a good bit, a lot of different churches, a lot of different venues. And can I just tell you, this church is cool. This church is very cool. I love this whole concept, love the whole thing. But for some unexplained reason, I keep have this urge to spend $27 on popcorn. So I don't know what that's about, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's good to be with you guys. Um, you know, last week, you know, Brent talked about, you know, just the importance of, of forgiveness in a marriage. And when I listened to your message, I thought, wow, this, is, this would be a good connector here. And so uh, today I want to take a little bit about the power uh, of words in our relationship. Now, I didn't realize when I got into, when I was, first got married, that uh, words were such a big deal. Words are a big deal, right, guys? We've learned the hard way. We had just been married a, a few weeks, uh, and we had a little tiny one-bedroom apartment, and I'm standing in front of the only mirror we have, which is in the bathroom. I'm shaving, and Nancy walked in, uh, and she did that thing that I've seen her do for me, you know, in front of mirrors for the last, what, 23, 23 years, uh, when she walks up to the mirror, she backs up to it, and then she spins her head around at 180 degrees to look at the back of herself. Uh, I call it the owl. Um, and I've since learned that the owl is followed with a question. And that question seems to be designed to get me killed. And the question was, do you think these pants look too tight? Well, I was young, and I was stupid. And I did not listen to the still, sweet voice of Jesus when he whispered to me, lie. And I said these three words. Yeah, kind of. That was the wrong answer. Yeah, kind of led to a lot of tears that day. In fact, she almost cried. It was, it was the wrong answer. And I started to learn then what I know for sure now. After being married for 23 years, after work with married couples for 17 of those, that it only takes a few words to take our relationships in the direction that we do not want them to go. And that could be with our kids, that can be with our, our friends, that can be with our spouse, but it only takes a few words. And some of you experienced that on the way to church this morning, didn't you? Yeah, you're driving to learn about Jesus and one of you turns into the devil. I mean, it is, you know, it only takes a few words. It's so delicate, isn't it? Just a few. Uh, then there's, you know, things like this with married couples. Is that, you know, is that what you're wearing? No, honey, these, these are my practice clothes. Uh, <laughs> Yes, this is what I'm wearing, right? And that doesn't go well, right? And then there's those times, especially for us guys, when we've done something and we're in trouble, but we have no clue what we've done. Anybody? Any husbands? Yeah, yeah. You go, what, what did I do? And so at first you're thinking, maybe it'll pass. And then about six weeks later, you go, maybe I should say something. And so you say, hey, what's wrong? And what answer do we get? I'm with my people. <laughs> Nothing. Which is always followed up with what? Nothing, I'm? See? And we all know it translates into something, you're an idiot. And then there's this atomic bomb of marriage. You were just like your mom. Somebody, somebody just went, oh! How, how many moms do we have in here? After all you do. After all you do. And that you become one of the part of the sentences... It's the most destructive phrase in the history of marriage. I'm so sorry. It's unfair, but it's very true. And then we have this one. You always. 
you always show up late, you always say that, you always act that way, you always make me mad, you always frustrate me, you always, you always, and then it's twin brother, you never, you never come home on time, you never do what I ask you to do, you never, you never, you never, and then it, just those few words, just a few words, it's so delicate, and then we, you know, we have great idea, or we say this to somebody's great idea, you know, that's never going to work. You know, we're all excited about that idea. They're all excited. We say, oh, it's never going to work. And then there's this one. What were you thinking? Which is what I grew up with. You know, I was ADHD long before it was cool. And my dad constantly, what were you thinking? Nothing. Not one thing. There was no gap between thinking and doing. Yeah, some of you have got children that struggle with that. Just know it's not intentional. We're not thinking anything. But we say, well, you know, what were you thinking out of frustration? We back off. And then there's, are you sure? You know, somebody finally knows something, and we look at them and go, oh, are you sure? And then we really heard them and go, I'm going to Google that. <laughs> well, and then there's, for those of us who are married, <laughs> click. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's what we know here today. This is what puts us all on the same page, is this. We know whoever came up with this phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is to use a biblical term, a moron. We just know different. So we know this already, so we're there, okay? But here's the mystery I want us to wrestle with for just a little bit, and the mystery is this. Why do we say the things that we don't want to say and not say the things that we do? Because if I were to ask you, do you want to say things that would speak life and love and encouragement to those around you, what would you say? Yes, yes. If I were to say, do you want to say things that are going to hurt them, those that you love the best, what would you say? No. Then why is it we find ourselves saying that thing maybe once again that we, we swore we'd never say again? Why do we find ourselves saying those things that we don't want to say and not find ourselves saying those things that we do want to say? Well, I have studied marriage for a really long time. I've read more books on marriage and about communication than I have brain cells. And I'm telling you, I landed on one passage out of Proverbs that I thought, isn't this the brilliance of God? That he could take this whole mystery and say, here's what's happening, here's the problem, and here's the solution. It's this. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, careless words stab like a sword. Careless words stab like a sword. Now, you'll hear now, people are just too sensitive to words. And yes, this is true. People are very, very sensitive to words. But we've always been sensitive to words. This is an ancient passage, and God knew then what God knows now. is He is hardwired into our relational DNA for words to matter. He said he is the living word. He gives us his word. It's the number one way of connecting to him. And he says, careless words stab like a sword. And here's the problem with the stabbing. A stabbing is an event. <clears throat> and we remember events, especially the hurtful ones. My mom passed away uh, when I was 10, and I was standing in a relative's house, and I had made this big mess in his family room. And he walks in, and he sees it, and he gets really upset with me and lets me know about it. Well, I started to cry, and I ran out of the house. He chases after me. He grabs me by the arms. He spins me around, and he goes, just because your mom died doesn't mean you can cry about every little thing. Now, now i got to tell you, that for me that day was a stabbing event. 
He let me know, man, if you're sad about this, you know, you're overreacting. And that was a big deal. And we remember this kind of thing. We remember when these things were saying or said to us. We remember events, especially the painful ones. Because here's the thing. I don't remember what Little League team I was on that year. I don't remember if we went on vacation. I don't remember what I got for my birthday. But I remember everything about that day. I remember where I was standing. I remember the mess. I remember all of it. Why? Because that was an event. Some of you, as I told this story, you've got something similar in the back of your mind. Something maybe happened to you when you were a kid. Somebody said something. Maybe for you guys it was a coach who said something about your athletic ability or lack thereof, and you remember where you were standing, and you remember who was standing around, and you really wish they hadn't heard it for sure. Some of you ladies, maybe it's a group of girls at school with something was said. Nancy and I worked with um, youth ministry for 10 years, and I remember um, we're sitting with one young girl one night, and she's explaining to us that the reason life is such a struggle for her is because she was so overweight and uh, so unattractive. And we're looking at her, and nothing could be further from the truth. And it hit me, because she told us about what someone had said, and it hit me that that stabbing was such an event that it trumped the reality of the mirror. That's how powerful words are, especially careless ones. Now, as we're all adults, it doesn't stop when we become adults, does it? Maybe something happened at work lately, and somebody said something about a promotion that you didn't get, and let you know carelessly why. Because they, why? Those words still hurt. They, they hurt from our kids. How many of you have teenagers? Yeah, we know, we know they're teenagers. We know they're just, you know, they're turning into real humans. We get it. But it still hurts, doesn't it? Because careless words stabbed like a sword, and that is an event. And we remember events, especially the hurtful ones. And here's what we say. When we know that we've said something, and we didn't mean it. Because here's the thing. We don't have ill will, do we? Like, we don't wake up thinking, I want to hurt somebody. We say this. I didn't mean it. I was just frustrated. I was just kidding. I was just tired. Or as my teenagers say, I was just saying Oh, you were totally disrespectful for your mom, but because you were just saying, we're good. It doesn't work like that. But what do we do? We say it because we didn't mean it. And because we didn't mean it, we turn the knife a little bit harder by telling them, hey, you're overreacting. Here's the thing. That's not emotionally satisfying to them whatsoever. Never in the world have somebody been hurt, and we go, oh, I was just kidding. They went, oh, since you were just kidding, it's okay. It doesn't work like that. But we're careless, and we didn't mean it, and it doesn't come from a bad heart. So we think, whose problem is it? The one we've hurt. Careless words stab like a sword. This is what I love about God's word, is he will tell us exactly what's going on and, and, you know, and how serious the situation is and how important the situation is. And here's where you're going to struggle, but there's a comma, and then there's hope. Careless words stab like a sword, but wise words lead to healing. Think about God's amazing economy on this. The thing that we have used to hurt those around us, our words, is the very thing God wants to use to heal those around us, words. That when we start speaking the right things towards those around us, it starts to heal those broken parts. I was verbally abused more than once growing up, quite often. I would say daily in some seasons. And this lady sitting right here on the front row has, for the last 23 years, has just spoken words that have just healed, that have made those lies not 
true. It, but here's the thing. A stabbing is an event. Healing is a process. And it's slower. Now, here's where it unravels the mystery of why we don't say the things we want to as much as we should. Because we say them, and it doesn't seem to matter to them as much as the hurtful ones, doesn't it? Like, you can say one hurtful sentence, man, and it, you know, and it turns into this big deal. But when you get intentional and you try to say something kind or encouraging, you don't get a lot of feedback. Why? Because that's a process, and it's slow, and you don't get a big event-like response. I've told Nancy... She's beautiful our whole marriage. And she's told me I was the first person that ever did that. So I tell her all the time, you're so beautiful. We'll be driving down the road and say, pause it just a minute. You're so beautiful. And she'll go, thank you. And I'll make a big, thank you. And one day I thought, I think I'm saying it too much. So I said to her, am I saying this too much to you? Because, you know, I want you to know it. And it doesn't seem like it matters to, to you. And she goes, oh, no, I love it. I'm like, could you alert your face? Why, is it, why does she not have a big response? Because that's a process. And it's really, really slow. And let's think about our culture for a minute. We're not exactly a culture that gets really excited about things that take process. We like things instant. We don't wait for things to break to get a new one. We upgrade. How many of you work on your computer a lot? Yeah, you're on your computer. A little hourglass comes up. A little color wheel comes up for more than 2.3 seconds. And we're like, I need a new computer. We want it to move fast. We want it to move really, really fast. I t told my oldest son, I was explaining to him what a record was. And then I realized in the middle of explaining that I really didn't know how it worked, but I was trying to give him a little bit of image. I said, it's this big round disc, and you put it on this player, and it spins it around, and this arm comes with a little needle on it, you know, and then, you know, Bon Jovi comes out somehow. It's amazing. And I'm thinking, he's going to have questions. And you know what his only question was? So you had to go to the store and buy it? No, buddy, music has always dropped magically from the sky <laughs> onto the device of my choice. Yes, you had to go and buy it. But we don't like things that are, are slow. You know, we're the generation that stands beside the microwave waiting on the popcorn going, hurry up. Does anybody remember Jiffy Pop? Now, that was a popcorn of process, but we don't like it. And so we don't know how to do it. So when we say these things that matter, Sometimes it didn't seem to, to be working, and we won't think we want it to work quickly, you know. And ladies, bless your heart, those of you who are married, guys, you, know, you say the right things to us, stuff that really, really matters to us. You know, thank you for doing what you do to provide for this family. That really, really matters to us. And how do we respond to that great, great thing? We go, that's all you get. But our insides are going like this. So you just have to trust me on this, ladies, that when you say those things, those affirming things, it really does matter to, to him. He just doesn't know how to say it. He doesn't know how to get loud. So we stop. This is, this is where it unravels the mystery. So a lot of times wives just stop going, well, I say stuff, and it doesn't seem to matter to him at all. Oh, it matters. It matters. It's just a little bit slower process. So how do we do this? Let's get really, really practical. How do we do this? How do we stop saying the things we don't want to say? And start saying the things that we should. Number one, we have to be slow. We have got to learn how to slow this thing down. Every radio station in the country has a thing called a seven-second delay, where they have seven seconds to keep things that are offensive from going out into the airwaves. Man, if we could learn how to install one of those, we'd all be rich, right? I mean, I don't know how many times I'd have loved to have that, to pause myself and rewind and try that again. 
right? We know, we, so we have to learn how to go slow. We need to learn how to slow this thing down. So here's a question. When are those times that you feel like that you're not slow with your words, when you're more careless? Where you're just a little bit, you know, maybe that's in the morning, maybe that's uh, what counselors call during times of halt, which stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. During those times, counselors say that we're at, we're at our worst. The number one time that couples are arguing is when they reconnect at the end of the day, because I think they're either one or all of those things. They're either hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. When is it for you? that you find yourself being more careless than you want to be. For me, it's in the mornings. I have just learned, just don't talk. Just talk. Don't talk. Write notes. Spell out things in M&Ms. Do whatever you do. Just don't use a lot of words. Why? Because that's when I tend to be grouchy. That's when I'm not great at it. we got to be slow, but we can't be silent. So a lot of you go, oh, I'm slow with my words. You know, I'm slow with my words. I'll shut down like a Kmart. Like, I am I'm slow with my words. Sorry, too soon. Um, I'll go slow. This is not this. It's about being slow but not silent. Some of the most hurtful words are the words that are never said. I mean, I, I talked to many adult men who would give anything to have their dad say, I'm so proud of you. So this is go on and goes on and goes on. We need it. We continue to need these words. We've got to be slow but we can't be silent. And we've got to be smart. You know, it says wise words lead to healing. It's not any words. This same book of the Bible says that Pro- in Proverbs that, that uh, words that are flattery are evil. We know when people are just buttering us up. We know when it's flattery. It doesn't feel right, does it? It's got to be wise words. It's got to be the right words. So there's this different kind of pressure, which I think leans us to go, hey, I don't say the things that I, I should say because I don't know what those things are. I don't know what to say. I can't, you know, we say, I don't, I feel like when I try, it doesn't work. I feel like I'm not good with words. My parents weren't good with words, so therefore I'm not good with words. I'm a guy, so I'm not good from, for words. Or, you know, Nancy's an accountant, so she would say that I'm the girl at our house, and she's not great with words. She's really actually great with words. But we get in, we wonder how, how do we do this? We got to be smart. We got to know the right words. And you go, okay, to heal where they're wounded. How, okay, how do we know where they're wounded? Okay, how do we know where they're wounded? Well, one we can ask, which I know is not always easy, not always easy. The other is this. This is so telling. When someone's reaction doesn't match the situation, it reveals where they're wounded. What is that topic with this person that you love that every time you hit that topic, they overreact? Where they're, quote unquote, touchy, is another word, aka wounded. What is that, what is that topic? Because they're potentially is the woundedness. Is it money? You know, he goes, hey, let's drive through McDonald's. And they're like, are you trying to put us in the poorhouse? Whoa, where did that come from? Oh, every time you talk about uh, money, in-laws, appearance, work, like what's that, what's that touchy place with them? Because that's where they're wounded. But here's, here's why I think we get in trouble with our words. It's when they overreact, we overreact back because we know we're right and they're wrong. That's ridiculous. That's completely unfair. Why are you acting like that? If we can be relationally bold and brave and go, stop, just a minute, going, they're showing us. They're showing us where they're wounded. Do you know where we do this really, really well, a different application of this? is when you see somebody that has a loved one who's sick, they know about what's going on with them. We have couples, two couples in our life that, where the husband struggled with cancer, and when you talk to their wives, they're like doctors. 
they start telling you about you know, all the treatments, the radiation, the infusions, the clinical trials, all these different things. They start laying all this stuff out, and I've always been fascinated by that. And so I asked one of the ladies, why do people do this? Why do, why do I tend to see this dynamic the way, Sandy, the way you're talking about Donald? Like, what's the dynamic there? And she says, I don't want him to feel alone. And she goes, and I have to be his advocate. So if we go into one of these doctors and they, they're off, I know. I know what's going on. I got my little file folder, and there's a lot of days he doesn't feel good, which means he's not thinking good, and he's not listening good. She goes, I have to be that. And she's getting bowed up when she's talking about it, right? Why? Because she's protective of where he's wounded. And her knowledge of that allows her to protect him even more. And that's the thing. I think we need to be just as strategic as knowing where they're wounded. Where are they hurt? Who said something? Who hurt them? And I know for a lot of us, this feels like ooey gooey. Oh, you know, this smells like Dr. Phil a little bit. I get that, but that's not true at all. This is what God's word is saying, and it reveals to us that this is where they are wounded. So then we start saying the things that we should. We start slowing this thing down. We start finding out where it is they're hurt. We start saying those things, even though we don't get a great big response, and we start saying really complicated things like, please. Now here's the thing. I watch a lot, especially when couples are in crisis, they stop, they stop the basics. They stop using the very words they would use with a stranger on the street or someone checking them out at a gas station. It's these simple things. We lose that. We need to interject that back in, especially when we're in crisis. You go, you know what? We don't agree, and I'm so frustrated, and I'm so hurt, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm At least there's going to be common courtesies, and I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to thank them and say, look, you and I, we're in a tough spot, but I really still, I do. I thank you and I appreciate for what you do for our family. That you go to a job that you do not love, that you take care of kids and all that you take care of. I want to thank you for that. And we'll work through this other stuff or maybe we won't, but I want you to know, thank you. Those are healing words for somebody. It always takes two to keep a negative cycle going, but oftentimes it just takes one to stop it. And the power is back in our court. A lot of times when people hear a message like this, here's what they think. They're thinking, I am glad he is hearing this. I am glad she is hearing this. Right? Here, right now, in your mind, I want you to draw a circle around you. That's the only person you're responsible with with this message is us. Right? Because we don't see it. It is us. It is us as individuals to go, okay, what can I do with this? Please, thank you. Again, you're beautiful. How many, how many dads of daughters do we have here? Yeah, they need to hear it from us. You know, working in youth ministry, dad, we need to tell them so they don't go to some punk and try to get him to tell her, right? Our wives need to hear it too. Over and over, you are beautiful. My daughter now is almost 13 and she go, I know, dad, I'm beautiful. Uh, we had some friends and they kind of taught it. They're, they're down the road with their parenting. They're always telling us advice and um, one of they told their little girl every day, she's, she's beautiful, she's beautiful. She goes to ballet class. She comes out she's about this big and said, Cassie, you're so beautiful. She said, yeah, I'm so beautiful. And all the other little girls, they kind of ugly. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we're going to have to rewind this thing just a little bit. <laughs> right? Overboard. But that was just their intention. I needed to know. I needed to hear it. Hey, and here's the thing, ladies. All you... Wives, you should know this. Men want to hear the same thing, too. We want to hear that, that we're attractive, but we want to hear it differently. We want to hear this. You're hot. 
Here's the great thing with the guys. We don't even have to be hot, but if you tell us we're hot, we'll believe you. <laughs> right? It's really easy. The other thing guys need to hear, wives, don't you hear this? I'm going to talk to just married couples' wives just for a minute. Studies show that men are always stressed out about their job. It doesn't matter the economy. It doesn't matter what's going on within the company. They've just always got, always got a little insecurity about our job. So your homework this week is this. is you tell him five times, you got this. If you want to take it to the next level, and I want to suggest this to, you know, this is your homework, ladies. You're going to want to cup your hand, come up behind his backside and go, bam, you got this. Different than normally. Bam, you got this. And I need to see it at least once as you're walking outside the lobby. I did this at a woman's conference in Alabama one time, and I don't think they're going to have me back. Um, but I saw pastor's wife who was all you know, buttoned up in the parking lot. She comes up behind pastor and goes, you got this. <laughs> Maybe she knows something about pastor. I don't. But you got this. We need to hear it. And that's when it gets so, so easy. This is where people, people that do what I do, we make marriage way too complicated. It is these little things like, you got this, way to go. You know, maybe your husband's stressed out about work, your teenager's stressed out, but whatever. Just tell them, you got this. This matters. I believe in you. Those are those times that matter. How many of you are married to a dreamer? They're always coming up with crazy ideas about what to do with the house. They're always wanting to shiplap something or take a wall down. My friend says that when he ever sees Chip Gaines, she's He's going to punch him in the throat. Yeah. You know, she says something. He goes, honey, I need you to know that every wall in our house is load-bearing. Right? So what, it, what was I talking about? Anyway, you come in with ideas. You know, you're married to somebody or you've got a kid or a parent or whatever that's just all about ideas. They come in. Oh, hey, let's turn the house into a convertible. Yeah, and you go... that's never going to work. The hydraulics on that, that's going to be so expensive. No, no, no. You just go, wow. Any idea they have, just go, wow. I do not know why people that are married to dreamers or have dreamers in their family get so upset. You know, ideas for us are like squirrels. They jump from branch to branch. We don't ever implement anything. Why are you getting so upset? And if we do, just go, wow, not how, right? That was worth coming to church for today, right there to set you free. And here's one from... uh, Queuing up from last week is, I'm sorry, that we need to forgive and we need to say, I'm sorry, you know, take it to the next level. You were right. And if you want to do graduate level work, <laughs> you were right and I was wrong. Yeah, you're going too much too soon? Okay, I got you. So just take it back to I'm sorry and then for the rest of you. I was right. You were right and I was wrong. See what I did there at Freudian Slip? I was right. Anyway, you say, I'm sorry. You were right. And I was wrong. It's these apologies we just need to go, hey, let's stop this already. And a lot of times, couples especially, they'll fight about something forever. And I'm like, man, is this really this important to you? And a lot of times, people will think, especially if they're in crisis, if they've got an issue, married couples, that you can't move past it. We have some dear friends who are arguing about whether to stay in their current house or move to the next one, uh, which is very first world problems, but that was still their argument. And they were about to go on vacation, just the two of them. And they were telling us that they were kind of dreading the trip. And I said, why? And they said, because we're going to have to fight about this house thing the whole time we're there. And I said to them, "Uh, why don't you take a vacation from talking about the house? And these very smart, very intelligent relationally looked at me and go, can you do that? Because we have been taught as a culture, if you've got an issue, 
If there's something right here that you don't have a marriage until it's resolved, and there are some things that we are not going to understand about each other until Jesus takes us home, and there are a lot of things that we need to forget, there's a lot of things that we need to move on from. Here's this, moms, where are you again? Moms need dads. You know, so those of you who have adult children that are, you know, parenting for the first time, she needs to hear this. Moms, good grief, you do so, so much. You do so much, and no one's, no one's saying, th- the toddler's not going, thank you. The teenager's not going, hey, I know that I, you know, I treat you like an ATM machine uh, that you're annoyed with, uh, but I want you to know, you know, they don't do that, and we have to say, you're a great mom, you're a great dad, Dads need to hear it too. We're always wondering. We want to be great dads, but we're not getting the great feedback. You know, our teenagers aren't, aren't saying it. Nancy came in one time after my oldest one uh, and I had gotten into a discussion. She walks in. She goes, I want you to know that you're a great dad, and I don't like him either. Is that okay to say? That's what it was. And I thought, I just needed to hear that you're a great dad. I, get to, I travel a good bit, and she'll just text me sometimes, and I says, I miss you. I'm just like, how is she even thinking of me right now with three very active kids and all she has to do with her job and all that? Just, I miss you. It just matters to me. In other words, I'm proud of you. Some of us need to hear this. Some of our kids, you know, the people, you know, your spouse, they need, I'm just proud of you. I'm so proud of how hard you work. I'm just proud of you. And for those of you who don't know how to do this, it feels really awkward, do it on, get a post-it note. Get an index card. Let them be where they find it. Stick it on their steering wheel. It doesn't have to be, if this makes you awkward, do it that way. Find a way that works for you and make sure you say it. Uh, this is another one. I'm glad you're home. Again, no more time couples is fighting at the end of the day. What if we just made that great? What if we said, let's take the worst part of the day and make it the best part of the day? So, married people, here's your homework. Here's your second part of, I got this, is when you reconnect at the end of the day, I want you to kiss for 30 seconds, unless the kids are watching, and then I want you to kiss for 60. <laughs> you got to get them to move out somehow, right? Gross them out. But it's those times, like, how do we get intentional? Hey, I'm glad you're home. This one. We need this one. I grew up in Alabama, and so you, the way you got off the phone was, all right, talk to you later. All right, love you, bye. Anybody got that? And it's not a bad thing. It's a good habit. It's a good habit to have. But sometimes we need to stop and really say it. I really, I really love you. I really am in love with you. I love you. I love you. When our, with our kids were little, uh, one of the things that we've always wanted them to know was, I love you no matter what. I, I love you regardless. So we would say to them, you know, I love you all the time. You know, I, do I love you when you're sweet? Mm-hmm. Do I love you when you're not sweet? Mm-hmm. Do I love you when you bait? Mm-hmm. Do I love you when you don't bait? Mm-hmm. When do I love you? I don't I love you all the time. Now, it was really cute when they were little, but now that they're teenagers, it's not quite as cute. You know, parents, you kind of the reboot for parents that got little kids is you go into their room, you know, at night when they're all laid down, they're all sweet. And you look, and you just kind of reboots, makes you feel better. Oh, look how sweet they are. We're going to start all over. Aren't they precious? Just so you know, those of you who aren't the teenage years, it doesn't work that way with teenagers. You walk in the room, and it smells like dry fit, stank. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. But we need to say, because I find this more difficult with my teenagers in the middle of them to stop and say, when do I love you? All the time. It's really, really difficult, but what we try to do in the more fun moments is say to them, I do love you all the time. We were speaking of a thing last week, and she's standing there with uh, our uh, 18-year-old, and she says, uh, I say it, and he hears me say it, and he goes, aw. And she goes, you know he does, right? He goes, 
right? It's just this thing that we want to say that the people around us, regardless of how frustrated we are, regardless of the situation, regardless if we were just tired, regardless of whatever, that they know that we love them all the time. And I'll close with this. There's a friend of mine whose wife was verbally abused, abused growing up, and he is so sweet to her. I mean, he's the sweetest guy ever. I mean, she calls, it's like he picks up, and it's like there's their first date, and he is so careful with her, and she just still feels wounded. I mean, you can just still see there's woundedness there, and I said to him, you know, put this together. I said, hey, let me, and he's a good buddy, so I could be this honest with him. I said, okay, I feel like you're the best at this, but your wife still feels really wounded to me. He's sitting there with a cup of coffee. He goes, when we got married 20 years ago, if woundedness was a cup of coffee, she was a full cup. He goes, after 20 years of marriage, she's somewhere between a quarter and a half cup. Now, that's slow, right? That's not instant. That's not event-like thing. But is it worth it? He's got two daughters that have seen the way a wife is to be treated. Is it worth it? Yeah. It's not always easy. It's a little bit slower, but it is always important, and it does always matter. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you that, um, that they care so passionately about this community and they care so passionately about reaching people uh, for you and that they believe and they know and they've lived out in their own lives that uh, you want our days to be different. Uh, you want our life to be different as a result uh, of today as a result of spending time uh, with you. Thank you for that. God, help us to speak the words that we need to speak. God, you were so good to us, and while we were still sinners, you still loved us. So God, help us to love those around us in the same way, that our love for them and our words for them, not based on their words, but based on your word toward us. I pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and respond.